Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, April 13th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. Hey, everyone. Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And writer Huai Chan Bui. Hey, everyone. Peter, it was really weird to introduce I, you in this way. I know. I was like, I, I, oh, no. When you were saying my name, I was like, what, what, what do I say? You I, took I, mine. So, yeah, I, I stole HT. It sounds really on. redundant, like twi- almost twice in a row. Yeah. I mean, I was on the spot. I was like, I've never been put in this spot before. I think even like when we've done the, you know, the things that Jacob, like, like the group things, like the writer's rooms, like I've always been the person who introduces it. So this, this is strange. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, Peter, we had you on, or I, I wanted to have you on because of our first news story here. So HT, maybe you can lay the groundwork for us a little bit. Some news broke last night that uh, Arclight Cinemas and Pacific Theaters will be closing permanently. So um, tell us what happened here. Yeah, uh, the parent company for Arclight Cinemas and Pacific Theaters, uh, Decurion, has announced that they will shutter the their two theater brands uh, in the wake of just the financial toll brought on by the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, they're shutting it, shutting them permanently after closing their doors more than a year ago today, um, and it's something that they 
didn't want and they exhausted all the potential options, but the company feels they don't have a viable way forward. And uh, it's um, some, it's a theater, these are two theater brands that I am not all familiar with, but I do know, especially after the outpouring of, of grief for these, the shutterings of these two theaters, especially the Hollywood Arclight, uh, which houses the Cinerama Dome, um, that I know that this is a very big deal. So Ben and Peter, why don't you take the reins on this? Because I know that you guys probably have have actually been to these theaters. Yeah, the the Hollywood Arclight was one of the primary places where they did press screenings in LA. So I saw, I mean, basically everything that wasn't a huge Disney movie that didn't have screenings on the Disney lot, I saw pretty much there. I mean, there were, there were a handful of other theaters, but this was like, I would say the, the main sort of primary one. So I have so many memories of seeing so many great movies at this, uh, especially the, the Arclight Hollywood location. But Peter, I mean, you know, you've lived in LA for a long time. I'm no longer living there. Um, I'm sure this must have hit you pretty hard as well. So if you want to just, uh, you know, what, what's your reaction, maybe share a couple highlights of, of Arclight experiences that you've had, and then maybe uh, you know, speculate about what you think might happen here. Yeah. Uh, when, when I first moved here, like, you know, before I moved here, I came out to LA to kind of experience it. And Arclight was a big part of that because Arclight felt like the film geeks, you know, cineplex. It, it really felt like everybody working there on the, on their name tags below their names. It had their favorite movie. Um, it, it felt like they cared about projection. They had people that came out before each movie and introduced it and told you that, you know, that they would stand by the side for the first, you know, five, 10 minutes of the show in case to, to make sure the projection and sound is up to the arc light standards. And uh, yeah, the Cinerama Dome, which is historical and I've always felt didn't have the best <laughs> sound or projection, but whatever. Um, to me, Arclight was always the LA theater, even more so than the New Beverly, because New Beverly, which, you know, Quentin Tarantino owns, is always showing like, you know, older movies. And, uh, you know, I'm all most of the time when I'm watching older movies, I'm, I'm fine just watching it at home on my projection screen. But go, going when I first moved here to LA, they were one of the first theaters to have, uh, you know, uh, you could pick your own seats. You didn't have to show up to mm-hmm. the theater, you know, an hour early to get good seats. And every time you were there, I would always like see celebrity. It was the place where filmmakers and celebrities would, would go to see the movies. And I don't know. It, it's really, it, you know, Pacific theaters. I don't think as much like it, it, that brand wasn't as big of a, a thing, even though, you know, that's the theater at the Grove and there's a bunch of them around here. But the Arclight really felt like something special. And uh, I'm really hoping that someone can, like, maybe at least buy up that part of the chain and (laughs) let it live on in some way. Or I'm sure. What do you think is going to happen here, Ben? Do you think another chain will come? I don't know. AMC, do they even have the money to swoop in and purchase this or yeah that's the thing like the pandemic has obviously put everybody in such a a a dire financial position that it seems like nobody is like perfectly positioned to be able to swoop in and and no other theater chain anyway is is able to swoop in right now and just like you know be the the savior of this uh you know beloved la landmark so with that in mind my sort of twisted broken brain i'm almost immediately went to oh my god i kind of am wondering if like Disney or somebody is going to buy this. And 
you know, maybe they not, maybe not the um, Netflix or Amazon. Yeah, maybe, and it's possible that they wouldn't even buy the ArcLight Cinemas in terms of like the uh, the company or like the the theater itself that is like right next to the cinema Cinerama Dome. But I can totally see the idea of a company like that buying just the Cinerama Dome because of the standing it has as the sort of icon of the you know, the LA community, the LA film community, the the historical relevance that it has as like the home of all these premieres and stuff that have happened there over the years. So what do you think about that, Peter? Do you think a company like that could, could swoop in and, you know, if not buying up the entire chain, then just like that location for special events and whatever? I don't know, because, you know, Disney already owns a theater really nearby within, you know, walking distance of the El Capitan. So I'm not sure if there's a benefit to them. And also, like, I'm not sure if there's a benefit for a company like Netflix or or Amazon, because are they really going to have that many movies to show case? Like, how many screens is the Arclight? It's it's at least a dozen, if not. Yeah, like something 20, like that. Something like 15, that. 15, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I really I really don't know. I'm worried about this. It, it, this is the kind of place if you were in L.A. and you saw something on opening night, there was a chance that a star or the filmmaker would just show up and introduced and do an impromptu q a like you never knew what was going to happen and i don't know it just felt like a really special place yeah yeah i'm i'm really bummed about this um and i i know that it, it's probably hard for people who aren't in los angeles to really care about this that much because the the arc like brand and and from what i know of um the pacific theater brand you know it, it was not like a huge uh nationwide thing to the point where it you know it rivaled amc or anything like that um, but like, if you are in LA and you care about movies, like the Arclight is, is sort of a home away from home for a lot of people. So, um, it's definitely a, a huge deal for people in the industry. So yeah, uh, I guess we'll just have to, to wait and see what happens there. Um, yeah, I'm very, very curious to see if somebody's is financially able at this point to sort of swoop in and, and make a play for this. So. Uh, let's move to our next item, which is Indiana Jones 5. Uh, there was some really interesting casting news over, I think this actually happened on Friday. Um, and that is that Phoebe Waller-Bridge, the creator and star of Fleabag, has joined the cast as the female lead of Indiana Jones 5, which still does not have an official title. And John Williams is coming back to score the movie. So um, Harrison Ford is coming back to play Indiana Jones and James Mangold is writing and directing the movie. That's kind of all we know about it right now. Um, but uh, I just wanted to sort of go around the room and, and take your temperature on this and see what you guys think about this. So, uh, HD, let's start with you. What do you think of, I know you're a big uh, Fleabag fan, especially. What do you think about Phoebe Waller-Bridge joining up in uh, Indy 5? I hope that she gets to wield the whip and the fedora because good for her. <laughs> Phoebe Waller-Bridge is such a talent and I'm excited that she's getting bigger and bigger with every project that she signs on to. And I, I wonder if she'll be able to... Uh, or if she will be asked to write at all on this project because she's as known for being a exceptionally talented writer as she is being an actress. So, and I, I think it's very, it's rare that she doesn't uh, do punch ups or something that she's involved in um, except for maybe solo. So I guess if it's as, if Indy, you know, is as big as a, blockbuster as solo she probably won't be able to get on the creative side of things either but I just w wish the best for her um I am not I've watched all the indie movies now I I did a podcast with Chris Evangelista on it <laughs> and um Crystal Skull is you know not it shouldn't be as hated as uh it is it shouldn't have the reputation it has but I do think that um 
the indie franchise is kind of winding down now. And I wonder if this is supposed to be a passing of the torch kind of thing. Um, and if it is, I'm very happy that Phoebe Waller-Bridge would get that torched if she if we're if she does as i'm guessing mm -hmm. jacob what do you think i mean i have nothing else to add on hd she, she's great uh this is her second time with a uh lucasfilm project after she walked away with her few scenes in solo and yeah i would love love if this movie was an excuse to uh, put Phoebe Waller-Bridge in a fedora and a and a leather coat, you know, for the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and doing adventures in a post-Indiana Jones, you know, century. Because uh, when you think about it, you know, it is increasingly uh, as far from the 70s, which is when this movie will take place, as Rays of the Lost Ark was from the 30s when that movie was made. So it's time for a new round of period pieces with that 50-year gap, if you ask me. And I would love for her to be the whip-cracking tour guide in it. All right, Peter, what do you think? Yeah, I'd, I'd love, to, I'd, first of all, I'd love to see if she does some punch-ups on the script because I, I'm guessing they're not going to give her a major rewrite or something like that because of Mangold. But I, if she definitely has that that voice that, I don't know, it, it elevates the stuff that she she does. And she also has that look. She has a like a, a very, I don't know, maybe it's because she does some of the stuff, but she has like a look of like she can fit in in a, a vintage time period. So I'm I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious. Are they going to? Is this going to be a passing of the torch, like like they were trying to do with Shia LaBeouf? Are they going to try to do that here to a a greater extent with her? And uh, you know, will the fan bros be upset? Yeah, that's my question. Is I I don't know if it's a passing of the torch or if, she, if this is sort of like a Kate Blanchett in Crystal Skull f scenario where she's going to be you know like the the main villain or foil or something oh, yeah. for Indiana Jones, which I, I think would be equally exciting. And and I would, you know, also be happy if they, you know, just officially like ended this franchise or or this run of this franchise, um, you know, with Harrison Ford just like keeping, you know, keeping the the fedora and the whip or whatever, and then just like bring this to a close. And then, you know, in five years or three years or whatever, just like launching, essentially rebooting it and or telling another story in a, in a different corner of that universe or something like that. Um, so I'm, I'm curious if like Harrison Ford, you know, he's going to be what, 80 years old or something by the time this comes out. And he's like, it, it seems like he has not been thrilled about the idea of you know, those rumors of like Chris Pratt taking over for, for Indiana Jones, which have been largely unfounded uh, or entirely unfounded, actually. Um, so I wonder if he has any say in this in terms of like, uh, you know, I, I would rather go out on my own terms instead of actually passing this thing off kind of thing. So, um, yeah, curious to see how that plays out as well. So uh, let's get into some Disney news. Uh, Peter, another reason that we wanted to have you on is because of this story involving the future of Disney parks. So um, Jacob, you're obviously a, a theme park aficionado as well. So maybe run through a couple of these new updates from uh, what we can expect from Disney parks in the future. Uh, yeah. Disney parks chairman, Josh DiMaro did a series of interviews and in a pr online press conference about the future of Disney parks in the post pandemic world. And speaking of CNN business, he I'm going to read this quote uh, about about uh, Disney uh, Disney World at its 50th anniversary. It's going to be fresh. It's going to be technology ridden. It's going to be incredibly relevant to guests all around the world. And he goes on to explain that there will be more integration of Disney Plus into uh, Disney parks, presumably his way of laying the groundwork for characters from The Mandalorian and other you know Disney Plus shows maybe start popping up in Disney parks. He also describes the creation of a metaverse, which would be 
a way for via your phone and Disney apps to interact with Disney parks, essentially play games and interact with the parks in a, in a digital interface as well as a physical one. And the, the biggest news come out of this was at this press conference, like I said, it was a limited audience. We have not seen this personally, but supposedly at the end, he reaches into a box, pulls out a prop lightsaber and activates it. And apparently looks like a lightsaber. And this lines up with a patent that Disney filed a few years back for a quote, sword device with a tractable internally illuminated blade, which clearly is their attempt to create a prop lightsaber that looks legit in person and lines up with stories of the upcoming Star Wars hotel having a lightsaber experience inside. So a lot to take from here. The lightsaber thing is is really neat and it suggests that they're really pushing what theme park tech can be. But I will say this much, as somebody who likes Disney parks uh, because I like a sense of place and like a sense of, of being somewhere that feels real and have my phone in my pocket. The idea of having my, f- my nose in my phone while exploring Disney park sounds reprehensible. And also, yes, I'm sure some people will love to see the Mandalorian characters and Disney plus characters in, in the parks, but I miss the days when Disney parks created their own IP to use that word uh, and were about their own things and, and stood the imagination on their own without having to borrow characters. We already knew. Uh, Peter, am I being too curmudgeonly about all of this? I don't think you are. You know, Galaxy's Edge was kind of the first of this, like, I mean, it's not the first. They've, they've been evolving this concept, but you can use your phone as a data pad and hack into certain things and go on missions. And there's a story that's being told basically on your phone, but in in a almost an augmented reality kind of sense. And I don't, I think it was their way of trying to do what, Universal has done with the wands in the Wizarding World, but it doesn't seem to connect with with fans as much because people don't want to be on their phones. People, you know, I, I guess maybe being on your phone while you're in the line in a queue for a ride, like, you know, and being able to set off practical elements of like, you know, the ship turns on because you did, you know, you wired it correctly and stuff on your phone that that's cool. But for the most part, yeah, I agree with you, Jacob, I, I don't want to be on my phone but the, the thing I want to talk about the most is this real working lightsaber because, yeah, he took the lightsaber out of the box. He turned it on. The blade came out. And I, I from what I hear, because we weren't invited to this press conference, this was done in daylight. And people were saying that the blade looked like, uh, you know, like it does in the movies. And uh, I'm not sure if you've seen these lightsabers that they sell, like the Legacy lightsabers or the Hasbro lightsabers that they sell. It, it looks cool at night. But in, the, in in daylight, it just looks like a you know plastic blade with some you know a little bit of light illuminating out of it. So I'm wondering if they put visual effects on that. But he ended the the presentation by you know igniting it and then saying it's real and then you know cut to black and everybody was freaking out. But I I think and I think everybody online was freaking out like oh I'm gonna soon be able to buy one of these lightsabers. I I think you're you hit it uh, on the head here, Jacob. That it, it's probably gonna be for that. Star Wars Galactic Starliner experience. I don't think this is going to be a consumer product that you're, you're going to be able to take home. Absolutely think, not. There's yeah. no way they can, Disney can afford to mass manufacture these things if they are as real as he says they are. Yeah, and also, even if it wasn't as, as real as he says it is, something that re- you know extends like that, like it could poke some kids out, out or something. You know, I don't I don't see that happening. Like you know, them selling that and letting kids like poke each other with it. You know lightsaber blades that come out at a really fast speed <laughs> yeah i think that's a good point all right so there's one more thing in here that i wanted to talk to you guys about and and jacob you mentioned it earlier this idea of this metaverse and you guys were talking about having your phones out the whole time there's a quote here from josh tomorrow where he says 
Uh, it can bring Main Street alive in ways that you've never seen it before, never thought about before. You can have the whole theme park participate in a game that culminates in a celebration at the hub at the top of Main Street. The possibilities are endless, blah, 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 blah. Uh, how would something like that work? You guys know about theme parks. Like if the entire park, like the the reason that a park like that works is because it's so big and spread out and everybody is not in the same area at the same time. What What is he talking about here? Do you guys have any sense of this? I, mean, I can imagine a really stupid mini game where it's like, Mickey needs help getting to the parade. Tap your phone to get Mickey to the parade and enough people tap it. Oh, Mickey shows up in Main Street. That's, that's kind of what I imagine in my head because I don't otherwise don't understand how park ops makes this work. I mean, park operations, which is the idea of how many people are on rides, how many people are in queues, how many people are walking around. Mm-hmm. How many how many bathrooms are available? Uh, there's I cannot imagine a world where you can make a satisfying digital game that does not destroy park ops entirely and render it useless. Well, I have an idea for you here, Jacob, because I you know I recently went to Alani in Hawaii and they had this uh, experience that's made for kids, but of course I had to try it. It's called the Menahune Adventure Trail, and you get this like little tablet device, like an iPad, and you go around uh, solving mysteries, trying to find these. Uh, artifacts that come alive come to, to life as you answer things on the on the tablet uh that's not important the the important part is i talked to a few other guests who were at alani at the same time and they told me that their adventures were completely different a different series of how they got to different things and i it really makes me believe that that they are probably creating experiences that from a logistical standpoint, my, my, my logic nerd is actually making it, like it sounds kind of cool that they could be like, you know, there's too many people in this area of the park. Let's get them over to Fantasyland because there's not people over there. So they're, they could use these kind of games and apps to drive people around the park and make make it a better experience. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're suggesting that this will be part of Park Ops. It'll be, oh, crap, Frontierland <laughs> is too crowded. Uh, everybody who goes to Fantasyland gets a prize in their phone, a, a digital Disney sticker, and everybody then runs well, over to Fantasyland. Not that obvious, but yes. But yeah, okay. But let, let's strip it down to the nuts and bolts. That's what this would be. Because, and like, like I said earlier, this is not how I want a theme park. This is, this is the exact <laughs> opposite of how I theme park. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, hopefully we'll, I'm sure we'll be tracking this as, uh, as we learn more in the coming, you know, weeks and months. Um, let's move to our next item, which is a live action Gundam movie is in the works. HD, what do we know about this? Yes. Go, go Gundam. That's not a quote from the show. I've never seen a Gundam show. Sorry guys. <laughs> um, but there is a Gundam live action movie coming to Netflix. That's being developed by legendary, uh, with Kong skull, some, uh, Kong skull Island director, Jordan Vaught, Roberts, uh, directing and producing the movie uh, based on the beloved mecha anime franchise. Uh, There are no other details yet, but Brian K. Vaughn is writing the screenplay and will also act as executive producer. Um, Kale Boiter will oversee the project on behalf of Legendary and the original Gundam studio, Sunrise. There's also no set release date yet, but the movie will stream exclusively and globally on Netflix, except for China, where Legendary will distribute it. Okay. Um, so you just mentioned, Aisha, you've never seen any of these, but this is like a giant, what, uh, I haven't seen any of these either, but just like basically for people like us, maybe who don't know anything about this, the, the basic gist of 
Gundam is what, like a, a Power Rangers-esque uh, giant metallic thing that has like, you know, little fighters inside of it? Like what? what's the deal here? Yeah, they're giant robots that fight and um, they are considered an institution of Japanese culture. There's been a, basically a Gundam series on the air in some form since the uh, first debut of Mobile Suit Gundam in 1979. There is uh, a... Gundam statue in Tokyo, uh, and I, I yeah, it's it's a bunch of robots that fight. Can I jump in here, Ben? Yes, please do. I've seen enough Gundam to be dangerous, and I, I, I and that I know just enough to not know enough. Um, <laughs> okay, but uh, Gundam is I guess, far more serious than Power Rangers. It's a show that was always targeted toward uh, a slightly older audience, and I've read some of the. Uh, I've seen some of the Gundam shows, and I've read some of the uh, Gundam mangas, some of the earlier ones, and it is this interesting juxtaposition of a future world, a future galaxy of uh, at war, where, where sides do pilot giant robots, but it's less Power Rangers and more uh, gritty war story. It's all about how cool is it that these robots, these 50-foot, 100-foot-tall robots are battling each other in space, but also, man, war destroys communities, and war is terrible. It's, it's, it's one of those combinations of futuristic sci-fi and anti-war storytelling. It's very much a, a a more grim, more thoughtful thing than I think a lot of other Japanese mecha anime, and, you know, it's certainly not... Uh, Ace Power Rangers seems obvious from the outside, but I, before a Gundam fan sends us an email yelling at us for calling Power Rangers, it's it couldn't be more different <laughs> than Power Rangers tonally. It's very... Uh, it's, it wants to be a thoughtful look at war, which is why Brian K. Vaughn is such an interesting choice here because he's a very thoughtful writer. Yes, and I want to say that I'm not insulting Gundam in any way. I just have I don't have a lot of interest in mecha animes with the exception of maybe Neon Genesis Evangelion, but that's not really a mecha anime because it's about depression. Yeah, I mean, I, I was the one who was probably going to bear the brunt of those by bringing up the Power Rangers comparison in the first place. So I apologize for that. But uh, Peter, it sounded like you were going to jump in here. Do you have any sort of relationship with Gundam? It feels like this. No. Uh, pr- uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say one thing that uh, Gundam was in the, I hate to bring this up. Sorry to remind you that this exists, but there was this movie from Steven Spielberg called Ready Player One and Gundam played a big part in that movie. So. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, yes, I do remember that. Now that you mention it, that was a, a sort of a, a key like plot. There was a key plot moment that hung on the the uh, introduction of a, a Gundam character. So, yeah, uh, boy. Well, I, and in any event, uh, Jordan Vote Roberts seems like an interesting choice for this because he clearly has. You know, this is very much in the wheelhouse of things that he has. Uh, shown himself to be interested in like he's very interested in Metal Gear Solid and like you know he's been attached to to direct that movie for a long time too so this is like I I feel like um, you know in in the same sort of um, I don't know genre family Jacob would you say something you know it seems like they're they're cousins in a way or at least like you know they would attend the same parties yeah I say that I think that Jordan Book Roberts with you know Kong Scott Island a film loaded with Vietnam War imagery I mean, there is you – you can draw a direct line, I think, between what he found interesting about that script and that world compared to what I think a lot of people find interesting about Gundam. So it's, it's a very – I think it's an interesting choice for this. Okay. All right. So our last uh, news item today involves a bunch of release, uh, release date changes from Paramount. And I'm not going to bore you by you know droning on about what movie is going to come out on what day and what day it was previously set to come out on because all of that stuff really just gets – lost in audio form but i will encourage you all to 
click on the link in the show notes and you know write down on your calendars or, or set yourself an alert or or just pay attention log you know log this however way you want to because there are some pretty significant moves here being made uh, by Paramount in terms of release dates for movies like Top Gun Maverick and uh, the next two Mission Impossible movies that I think you know film fans uh, will will certainly care about. Um, so I wanted to to bring that to everybody's attention and then uh, really the the reason that I put this on. Uh, the the docket for discussion here today is because I know that we have uh, both HT and Jacob who uh, co-host a podcast that loosely involves, uh, well, I guess half involves talking about all things Star Trek. Um, so there's a new Star Trek movie that has been titled or, or dated here uh, for June 9th, 2023. And it's an untitled movie. And there are not really any official details about exactly what this film is going to be. Um, but io9 reports that this is not a uh, movie that is going to be written by Star Trek Discovery scribe Kalinda Vazquez, which was announced not too long ago. It is a separate J.J. Abrams-produced Trek film, but all detail beyond that remains top secret. So I just wanted to sort of open the floor to you guys since you host a podcast about this and see what your reaction is. And, and you know, there have been several uh, Star Trek movies that have been bandied about over the past couple of years. And I'm just curious if you guys have a a favorite here, like one that you would personally want to see, one that you think this is most likely to, you know, actually slot into this release date. Uh, go for it, anybody. My controversial opinion would be that Star Trek is doing fine on the small screen. In fact, it's doing so well for me. Controversially, it's a controversial statement because some people do not like uh, Picard or Discovery like I do. But I think I think Star Trek needs a nice long big big screen break after Into Darkness was a critical failure and Beyond was a financial failure. I think Star Trek needs to rebuild its its strong voice uh, on CBS. Sorry, not CBS All Access. Uh, Paramount Plus now, uh, and just live there for a bit and lick its wounds, which are mostly healed, and be TV for a bit because Star Trek has always been better on TV with, with a handful of exceptions. And uh, as for me, uh, we are still making our way through the original series, so I have I know just a fragment of the entire Star Trek universe, Star Trek lore. But from what I've seen and what I've fallen in love with with the original series is that the J.J. Abrams movies uh, were wildly not out of step, wildly different uh, approach to those characters in that universe than um, the the um than they were at the beginning so it it's interesting I'm, I'm not sure how i feel about abrams taking on that um again even though he's just producing it so um i'm fine with something that is not in the abrams universe because i do i have seen you know star trek star trek into darkness which was terrible i did like star trek beyond better so yeah um my thought is I'm I'm down for another Star Trek movie, but I'm I'm still making my way through the Star Trek stuff. Um, I feel like the idea that uh, Kurtzman and Orsi are not involved with this is probably a plus because I feel like you know they were sort of those guys were like huge huge screenwriters in the I don't know what we what period you would call that exactly the aughts uh, the the sort of like mid to mid two thousands to you know. 2015 range or something like that they were involved in so many huge franchises around that time and and teamed up a lot with abrams and they have sort of like fallen out of favor in hollywood largely um so i, I don't think they're going to be involved with this so that's probably good news for star trek fans who are you know uh, like uhd maybe like looking for something a little different that still has the abrams name attached to it um peter do you have any thoughts about any of this like you know as somebody who 
obviously is not as immersed in Star Trek lore as uh, Jacob and HT right now. Do you, and, and, but I know you've seen all these movies. Like, what do you think about the idea of a new Trek film at this point? I mean, I like Star Trek and I, I, I like, uh, for the most part, the Abrams verse. I, you know, he was talking about a few years ago doing this father son thing with, um, with Kirk. And I feel like that could have been very interesting. But is that the time, one where they were going to bring back Chris Hemsworth and have him and, and Chris Pine be in the same movie together? Yeah, they were going to have to team up together in some kind of time travel or I don't I don't even know what would bring them together. Uh, Jacob maybe could, <laughs> could could guess better than I, but that, that sounded interesting if they're if they're going to continue, you know, this this universe with this cast of actors and characters. But uh, I don't know. I don't know what else Abrams would want to do if it wasn't this. Like, I feel I feel like it has to be a continuing continuation of this in some way. A- am I am I wrong, Jacob? No, I mean, I, I think that was a good pitch. And I I have very mixed feelings on the Abrams movies. And someday HGM will cover this in great detail on our own podcast. But that first movie is terrific. It is so much fun. In the Darkness is garbage and Beyond is good. Uh, but for me, it's clear that J.J. Abrams' heart was always with Star Wars, and you can see that in his Star Trek movies, the ones where he has his fingerprints on them. And he got his Star Wars now. So my whole thing is, J.J., you got your Star Wars, leave Star Trek alone. <laughs> Let somebody else to work on this. And maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe he'll be the executive producer, sort of godfathering it in, in production, let other people do it. But I just... If they are going to do a Star Trek movie, I will, you guys want to know what I want out of a Star Trek movie? If, if, if they're going to make one... Um, nothing universe ending that's been the issue with with star trek discovery every season is a threat to the entire known universe as opposed to a mystery to be solved or like it's a smaller scale adventure if you're gonna make a star trek movie make it about a crew on a ship or the stakes are that crew and their survival i don't want another universe altering colossal massive threat scale it down make a star trek movie for under 100 million dollars and see what you can get that's what i want out of star trek on the big screen I like that idea. And I think you might be onto something too, Jacob, because like J.J. Uh, Abrams recently signed that huge deal with uh, Warner Media. So he's spending a lot of his time working on HBO Max stuff and, and WB projects and things like that. And Star Trek is still under the Paramount banner. So um, it seems like, you know, if the the signing of that deal is any indication that maybe, yeah, he'll, he'll be more attached sort of in name only or just in a, yeah, sort of a shepherding position here instead of, you know, somebody who's like on, on the set every day or dealing with, uh, you know, any sort of uh, on the ground problems or, or things like that. So yeah. I'll pitch this to HT and you guys, but HT, I want to hear, I think we'll appreciate this. Like, look, the balance of terror, an episode of original series where the entire episode is the enterprise versus a Romulan ship. And the entire episode is one fight as these two, is these two up and over each other. Take a Star Trek story, tell it in 100 minutes about a, a starship deep in space in a duel with a Klingon ship or a Romulan ship. Don't even have the camera leave the ship. Have it all told through portholes and view screens to keep it with the crew. And just tell a story of this dogfight or submarine battle, you know, and the cost it, 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 it amounts to the crew as they survive or don't survive it. I mean... That's the kind of small scale storytelling that Trek has done so well. And it's very, very clear that you could make another Star Trek 09 where with a massive planets running weapons, or you can have characters we give a crap about, you know, and, and, and a story that's more affordable and, and a mm-hmm. scale that is acceptable for, you know, a Star Trek movie to be profitable these days. 
I don't know. HD, is that what you'd want out of a Star Trek movie too? Yeah, that actually sounds like a nice relief from, yeah, the big colossal universe altering things that we've been seeing so far. It doesn't have to always be big. And that's actually what I liked about Star Trek Beyond, even though I'd not seen any Star Trek TV shows when I watched that movie. It felt like an episode of a TV series in a, in a good way, in a way that it felt like just the, an adventure, another adventure in these characters' lives. And that's what I really liked about that movie. So if they continue with that tone and approach then yes very cool all right well you can hear uh, hd and jacob talk more about star trek and doctor who on their podcast trekking through time and space so check that out they just launched a launched a a patreon so uh I'll did, put did a you link. did you bring this up just to help us plug our patreon ben uh, no i'm no i was genuinely <laughs> interested in what you guys wanted or you know we're thinking about this new star trek thing and i just you know throwing it well, in there for i, you guys, I so. cannot i cannot encourage people I, like this is advertising we can't do this but if but patreon.com slash trekking through time and space does not have a place being plugged here on <laughs> on slash Daily. whatever you do do not go to patreon.com slash trekking through time and space <laughs> all right i'll put a link to that in the show notes um and you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slash film.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode slash film daily is published every weekday bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and tv as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site you can subscribe to the show on apple google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps and send your feedback questions comments concerns and mailbag topics to us at peter at slash film.com Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out a lot. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.